Welcome to CBuzz, Columbus's first business-focused podcast presented by the Columbus Chamber of Commerce and Capital University. My name is Michaela Hunt, brand journalist and your host for CBuzz. And really, this is the show where we bring you the best stories from the Columbus business community. We love to do that. And we're coming to you from our home at Capital University's Convergent Media Center. This center is really a collaborative space where students and faculty from diverse areas of study, including music and film, creative writing, digital media, are empowered to work together in new and exciting ways. Today, we're fortunate to chat with two leaders in the Columbus community to talk about workforce development, the philosophy and the creation of jobs and connecting people with those jobs in our area. We have Darcy Congrove, Managing Director of GBQ Partners, who sits on the Board of Directors for the Chamber, and Don DePero, President and CEO of the Columbus Chamber of Commerce. Hello to you both. Hi. Hey, Michaela. How are you? Good to see you both today. So I want to tell our audience a little bit about you first, kind of have you guys introduce yourselves. So Darcy, tell us a little bit about your role in the work that you do and your role with the Chamber. Yeah. So I have just uh, gotten to my 20th anniversary at GBQ. And I'm a tax accountant by background. I've been in the role of managing director there now for nine years and have done a lot of community service over time and participated in a lot of boards and had the opportunity to join the chamber board a couple years ago and was excited about that. So I got to the chamber board right about the same time that Don was hired to be the CEO. So we've been on this journey together. And early on, Jeff Sop, our board chair, asked me if I would chair a newly developed workforce committee And I don't think any of us knew what that meant at the time. And so I said, yes. And I think what I've learned over the last um, two years in working at that is that it really is bringing together a lot of my life experiences. Mm -hmm. Uh, So more than 20 years in accounting, working with small and middle market businesses, all of whom talk about talent issues all the time. Right. And then more than 20 years being associated with United Way and doing some volunteerism there and understanding workforce issues from the poverty perspective and that the answer to poverty is work. And then lastly, some time with the Women's Fund and really understanding the disproportionate impact that those issues have on women and particularly single moms. So I'm hoping that all of that comes together in a nice way that we're able to put experiences to their best use here in the chamber effort. Well, it does sound like the perfect combination. And I know you from the Women's Fund, and this speaks to exactly some of the issues we talk about there. So it's fantastic that you are in this role and can talk with us today. And Don, as Darcy mentioned, both at the same time, you were kind of starting in your role. Uh, So tell us a little bit about that and where this kind of workforce development philosophy and plan has headed from that beginning of when you started with the chamber. Well, Michaela, as you know, I'm a recovering journalist after 35 years <laughs> I do know in that, yes. traditional media. And uh, uh, it's been, two, in fact, uh, uh, just over two years now that I've been leading the chamber. And it's just been a riot. Um, I'm wondering why I didn't do it 10 years ago. You know, we underwent a strategic planning process shortly after I started that lasted about 10 months from uh, March through December of 2016. And established four pillars, which I, I won't get into, um, to, to go forward. And in any strategic planning process, it's as much about what you're no longer going to do as what you're going to do. And so we really sharpened our focus at the chamber. And one of our four pillars uh, was workforce development. And it really came from our staff, which was interesting. Um, workforce development originally was going to be um, a main item, a primary item under one of the four pillars. And then when we had our, um, our retreat with, with the team, the team said, no, no, no. We talked to our members 
every day, day in and day out, and they say, workforce, workforce, workforce. We can't find people. We can't find the right people. We don't know where to go. Um, you, you know, keeping in mind that of our 1,600 paid members, uh, 55% have fewer than 40 employees. So we really are an organization of small businesses. So workforce is absolutely critical to those small businesses. And uh, that was the genesis of uh, this whole workforce development uh, project, which Darcy has just done an incredible job with. So that is why the chamber is focused on workforce. And, and Darcy, given the fact that you've, that you've been focused on that as well, what can you tell us about the workforce landscape in Columbus? So we'll go kind of big picture to small picture. Uh, Columbus is now the 14th largest city in the United States. The Columbus region continues to grow and is now the fastest growing major metro in the Midwest. The region's population is 2.1 million and more than a million of those people are workforce contributors, so are actively working. Mm -hmm. We're also highly educated, diverse, and young with one of the nation's highest concentrations of millennials. And so the obvious thing we think of when we think about millennials in Columbus is Ohio State. Right. But, you know, a lot of people don't think about the fact that we've got 60 higher education universities and colleges here um, in our region, which brings a huge population of young talent that we hope to train and retain here in our city. And one of those is Columbus State Community College, our partner uh, that we'll talk about a little bit later. So we also, in our workforce space, have huge growth in certain sectors that we're seeing. You see this in a lot of our headlines right now, yeah. in technology, in advanced manufacturing, and in logistics. And we have more than 50, and somewhere less than 100, uh, it's hard to nail it down, agencies and businesses working in some aspect of workforce development whether that be training or placement or some of our social service agencies, we have lots of effort. It's a very program-rich environment, which is a huge benefit to our community that we have so many programs. Right. What we see from the Chamber's perspective is that many of the businesses that are our members, that Don just talked about, small businesses, are either not aware of those programs or they're just not sure how to access them and how to find the right ones that match their business needs. Yeah, so the chamber hopes that we're going to be able to bridge that gap. That's what we've been working on is the dot connecting between what's happening in our workforce space overall in the city and all of the great programming that's out there and the people that are coming through jobs training programs and then connecting them to the actual employers that need them. Well, and that's what I was going to talk about, the people coming through those jobs training programs, because part of the workforce landscape, you have these employers that are asking the question. But as you know, from all the work you've done on the other end, you have a population that is really in need of finding good paying jobs. So it, can you explain that portion of the workforce landscape and, and your understanding of that a little more for us and our audience? So the, the major trick is to, to train people for the jobs that actually exist right now right? The need right now. And so you hear a lot of stories about businesses that need welders and no one's training welders or businesses that need contractors and we can't find the right contractors. We can't find the right skilled labor. I hear a lot about electricians as well, yes. actually. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we have small businesses as our members and, you know, I happen to work in a business that's almost 200 people and we have a full-time HR group that spends year round literally trying to recruit talent and accountants. Most of our small business members do not have that kind of resource, cannot spend that kind of time and money, and really 
unless they are doing their own homework or unless they have connected to somebody who can point them in the right direction, often try over and over and over again to find the right match. And I think we see exactly the same thing from the employee side, trying to find the right fit, having the right skills, removing some of the barriers to workforce and employment that we we're going to talk about a little bit later, I think. Yeah. Um, lots of challenges there. And so it seems like it's an easy thing, right? You've got trained people and you've got available jobs and why can't we just match them up? And I guess in a perfect world, Don and I think we would have some amazing clearinghouse that would do exactly that, that it would just be, you know, take this, you know, part A and plug it into part B and here we go, we're done. Right. And what we're finding is that's a little more challenging than that. So Don, given that, what solutions are really coming from the private sector? You know, there are a lot more questions than there are solutions. Uh, Darcy just articulated that so very well. Uh, in early spring, we hired a, a workforce director at the chamber, Kelly Fuller, who came to us from the Eastern, Eastland Fairfield um, Career Center. And uh, uh, she's been just great. What we wanted to do was uh, try to um, merge uh, a lot of or three organizations that are critical in, in this whole workforce uh, environment. And uh, what we did was we went to Columbus State and uh, United Way and were tri-funding this position. Uh, and if you were to talk to Steve Dakin, who's a workforce guru at uh, Columbus State and uh, was the um, Reynoldsburg superintendent of schools at one time, what he espouses is that we really need a workforce system in central Ohio. Uh, if you talk to other communities, maybe some are doing it better than others, but there's no magic bullet here. Uh, it takes a lot of work. Darcy, what would you add to that about the solutions coming from the private sector? Well, I think we've got some really great examples. Um, we have the example of, of Honda in Marysville, and Honda really, you know, when you come right down to it, talent as a business owner is a make or buy decision. So you're going to go to a campus and you're going to hire somebody or you're going to go to a workforce program and you hire somebody who may or may not know how to do what you need them to do and you're going to train them and teach them yourself or you're going to go try to find the ready-made thing on the market and hope that competitively you know you can find exactly the right thing at the right price and Honda really has fundamentally made a decision to make their own talent and so they are partnering with regional high schools and bringing students into a training program they actually bought a school in Marysville, a school building, and have classroom training and are providing some really great benefits to high school students to understand, first of all, what a career in their business and in manufacturing might look like in today's age, yeah. but then also giving them all the skills that they need to do that and providing some higher education opportunities along with that. What a fantastic so example. Yeah. So that's an extreme example, obviously, of a company that really gets it and has been very forward thinking for a long time. You know, on a very different scale, um, there's a little technology consulting company here in town. Uh, Ryan Frederick owns it's called AWH. And Ryan, within his consulting practice, has an apprenticeship program for low-income adults to come into his business, and he actually teaches them skills on live projects. And when they get to a place where they've actually man you know, mastered the skill set, he then you know, uses them on client projects and really is just training from the ground up. And so those are two extreme examples, kind of on the really big and the really small end of people that are investing in creating their own talent. 
And I think that's something that a lot of small or medium businesses don't think about doing, right? Because it's a huge investment. It's time and it's people and you've got to build the curriculum and you've got to, you know, get the right people into the program in the first place and get them to stick with it. Uh, but there are lots of interesting things happening around the city. Nationwide Children's Hospital is another good example. They're investing significantly in the South End around the hospital, not just in affordable housing and some of the other things we can see happening that are coming out of the ground, but also healthy families and education and a partnership with South High School and trying to create you know, some pathways for students coming out of the South High School system to I've understand, seen it happen with understand employment opportunities. There's a couple of students I met recently who are now going into biomedical science, yeah. have decided to go to college based on, I believe, the program you're talking about. I mean, inspiring students who live in these areas. Right. So in our own ways as small businesses, speaking as a small business owner, medium-sized businesses, we can step up to the plate. And you're right, we don't always we don't always think about that. We, we know these issues, though, are about more than jobs, though. So where else should our energy be focused as a business community when we think about workforce development as a whole? So the the language that I have learned here hanging out with workforce people over the last two years um, are barriers to employment. And those barriers are sometimes not about skills or about available jobs at all. They're about transportation and childcare and access and things that are, you know, causing us to then have to solve for some other issues. And Don, what have you seen in terms of those other issues that affect it? Um, you know, we mentioned the lack of a system. And uh, uh, what's, what's happened is for the major employers like Honda and others, uh, what do they say? Necessity is the mother of invention, who have the money and the wherewithal and the resources to, to figure it out on their own. It's, it's one thing. Where it's really crippling is in, uh, and Darcy mentioned this, the small to mid-sized businesses who, you know, if you have 18 employees and uh, you have three openings, that could make or break your, your business that year. Um, so uh, trying to develop a system where we have, where, where they have resources to reach out and programming, uh, where we're training people for those types of businesses, those types of needs, the skill sets that they need. Uh, if we can develop a system like that in conjunction with United Way, Columbus State, and as Darcy said, we have, you know, dozens of other organizations, um, we can be successful at helping those companies. You know, we're doing great things in economic development here in central Ohio, but if we can't grow the entrepreneurs who, are, who have staked their livelihoods on, uh, on their businesses and their success, if we can't support them uh, and help them succeed, then a lot of the great work we're doing to bring companies in from the outside really goes for naught because all we're doing is trading jobs. Well, and I think about the employee example of, you know, you're looking to fill three positions and what Darcy said about the barriers to employment. So, you know, child care being one of them, being mm -hmm. able to have someone to take care of your children so they're, they're not at home by themselves, right, when they need to be with a caretaker. But I also think of another barrier to employment as transportation. And it's one of those things that if you don't have a reliable way to get to your job, no matter how much training you've had, that's a problem to apply for a job and to make it to that job on a daily basis. And there's a, a lot of discussion around the last mile. You know, people who, who don't live right on bus routes or other routes of transportation. So they have to uh, walk to, and, and sometimes that can be a half a mile or more. And then when they get off the bus, 
you know, it's a, it's another journey to get to their place of employment. You know, there are companies now that are actually Ubering their employees to work because they pick them up right at the front door and they drop them off right at the front door. I've heard and, about this. And, and they can do so, and you know, in, in for a reasonable, I mean, you think it might cost them another hour's pay to Uber them back and forth. And, uh, you know, there's also some understated pressure there. If you know you've got an Uber driver waiting outside your front door, you want to make sure you, you, you get out the door and you get to work on time. I think this is another example where we're seeing some innovative solutions from the private sector. So as an example, the Coda bus line, when it runs towards Rickenbacker, was the last stop was the Waffle House. And so if you've been out that way, you know where the Waffle House is. And the Waffle House, you know, compared to where all of the facilities are at Rickenbacker, is still a pretty long walk. And the employers in that area got together and figured out how to run a shuttle bus that would bring the people the last mile, as Don talked about, into each of their facilities to get them there on time and safely because they were walking in an area to work that wasn't safe to walk, right? No sidewalks, right. high-speed traffic. Yeah. So that's Absolutely. one solution. You know, We also have seen recently this new social enterprise called Empower Bus. I've heard that is another one of those that I've heard about. Yes. Right. So these young young entrepreneurs, you know, decided that there was a problem. They were working in a community in Linden with new Americans and understanding that the problem the new Americans had was transportation and getting to where the jobs were in the suburbs. And they're literally running a bus back and forth to the new Albany Beauty Park, three shifts a, a day. So they saw a gap. They and did. They filled they, it. And they filled it. And what they did was they went to the employers at the beauty park and said, will you pay us to bring the people to you? And they said, yes. So these are tiny little examples, but you know, I think Don and I have the goal at the chamber of taking all these fantastic examples and creating you know, a list or a chart or an encyclopedia of them so that we can share them with all of the other companies so everybody doesn't have to design their own thing from scratch, that we can start to get some scalability by sharing good ideas and getting other companies to buy in. So this is the tip of the iceberg. It's the conversation really that we're having today. So the chamber has so much more information and kind of examples in this area. So we're talking about, you know, connecting with transportation, childcare. Darcy, tell me a little bit about Talent Connect, because technology is just such a critical part of our jobs these days. And this area that we'll discuss is really no different. Yeah. So we had at the chamber, and I say we because it happened really before I got there, uh, we had a very talented young woman named Dessa Augsburger who was working with Columbus State and some of the programs related to their pathways um, to get children, children, students out of high school into some sort of jobs training program or certificate program or to employment directly or to school. And they are um, kids trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives, they right? Kids. The older I get, the more kids they become. <laughs> uh, and Des was working there, and she was also working social services agencies. And what we were discovering was that there were all these chamber members who had jobs, and then there's this population of people that don't even understand those kinds of jobs exist. Not, not just they don't understand the employer exists, they don't understand those kinds of employment opportunities are available. And Des's idea was to partner with an organization that does like a skills-based behavioral inventory. So you would take this online test, it's a web-based program, and it would give you some idea of what you like, what you're good at, what your aptitude is, what your interest is, and then partner that, those results of that survey with real live employment opportunities, very micro location based. So the concept was that we we're going to take this transportation issue off the table. So once you, as a student coming out of high school, knew what you might be interested in, what you thought you might want to pursue, you could look at actual employers in your area 
that had jobs available and get some understanding. I love it. Wow. And, you know, also those then coming through some of the jobs training program and social service agencies the same way. So Talent Connect is a web-based solution to try to address two sides of the equation, right? Get people on the right path in the first place. Because when people start through a program that really it turns out isn't something that they are excited about or they really have the aptitude for, the chance of success is pretty low. So get them into the right program in the first place. And on the other side, marry that with where are the real life opportunities to connect that talent to the job. And we're now in, I don't know, Don, phase two or three or four of the development. Um, it's with a developer right now. It's, an, it's essentially going to become an app. And So speaking even more to this generation, yes. So we think it's got a lot of potential. Yeah. Uh, right now, that potential is not in the private sector. So we are not offering it to businesses at this point. We think it potentially could go that direction someday. But right now, it's really within the education and social services sector to try to do some of this matchmaking and dot connecting that we keep talking about. So these great programs, these great conversations that you're having, Don, you know, the Chamber Foundation and Workforce Development, as we've talked about, are, are, are new endeavors kind of for the Chamber in terms of when we talked about the priorities, the four priorities and that, the talent and workforce being one of them. So how do you pay for everything? Because to create this system, you have to be able to fund it. Right. <clears throat> the Chamber operates as a 501c6 uh, because we do lobbying. But we have a charitable foundation, a 501c3, and we've kind of resuscitated it. It had been dormant for a number of years, and we work with our uh, professional services firms to revive it. And um, um, we have uh, uh, recently been through our first major fundraiser, a great uh, golf and tennis charity uh, tournament out at New Albany Country Club. The Play and to Work Golf and Tennis Invitational. There we go. Yes. Uh, and it was uh, May 14th. Uh, we don't have all the financials in exactly, but we hope to make a significant uh, profit off that. But it's not being run by the chamber. The tournament is being run by the Columbus Chamber Foundation. Every penny of the proceeds goes into the foundation to support our workforce efforts. So we're really thrilled, and uh, it gives everyone a reason to come out and uh, support what we're doing. We'll be doing other things. You know, it's, uh, it was great that the United Way and Columbus State stepped up and made, each made a two-year commitment to help us fund this workforce development position because we really needed to be engaged. I serve on the Workforce Development Board of Central Ohio, uh, which is an all-important organization, too, that's trying to bring us all together, a lot of the workforce initiatives and programming. wanted to mention that um, the chamber is not program-centric. You won't see us, outside of this app that we've developed, Talent Connect, you won't see us developing programming around workforce. We're the convener and connector. There is a lot of, as Darcy mentioned earlier, somewhere between 50 and 100 organizations that, that produce very good workforce programming. And uh, so we're really going to focus on um, connecting our members, especially the small and mid-size businesses to outstanding programming that they can then tap into to find the workers they need. So I want to ask you both of this as we wrap up five years from now, Darcy, what do you expect the chamber to have accomplished through these efforts that we've been talking about today? 
So we're, we're new at this, but we did actually put some goals on a piece of paper. So I'll <laughs> tell you what those goals are, because I think they're a good answer to your question. Um, the first is increased availability of a highly qua- trained, qualified workforce. So that's, you know, everybody's nirvana, right? Right. We can find the people we need when we need them with the right skills. Uh, streamlined access to talent which is a piece of what our Talent Connect app will do, but you know, that's just a small piece of the overall puzzle that we just make this an easier thing to connect A and B. And then continue to position um, our businesses in our region so that they can tell their story. And so whether those stories are those of Honda and Children's Hospital and AWH doing great things on the employment side, or whether those are the stories of businesses we haven't talked about or we haven't even met yet, we really want to continue to attract other businesses and other talent and keep people here in the city so we continue to grow our city and have it be vibrant. And that, you know, one of the best things the chamber does is really put a spotlight on businesses so we can continue to do that and to share the great news about what's happening in the business community in Columbus to keep people excited about it. And we have the opportunity to speak with Steve Dakin and Michael Wilkos here in momentarily. So you guys have kind of set the picture for us of where we are right now and what the chamber has done. So Darcy and Don, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks. LED displays are the perfect custom-designed, eco-friendly addition to any event that leaves audiences in awe. Live technologies can design unique LED layouts for everything from event content to digital signage. Visit realliveprose.com to discover how live technologies can elevate your event with LED. And we're continuing the conversation today about workforce development in Columbus. With us now is Steve Dakin, Superintendent of School and Community Partnerships, Columbus State Community College, and Michael Wilco, Senior Vice President of Community Impact, United Way of Central Ohio. Thank you both for kind of continuing this conversation with us today. Absolutely. Great to be here. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about yourselves first and kind of your interest and talents in these areas, because I know there is definite interest and definite talent. Well, I have a lot of interests. I may be a little short on talent. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I, uh, I came to Columbus State uh, a little over three years ago after serving 35 years in K-12, the last uh, seven and a half years as a school superintendent in Reynoldsburg City Schools. Um, and I came because of the work that we were doing in Reynoldsburg with Columbus State and a number of other K-12 school districts and higher ed partners around the work called the Central Ohio Compact. And and, it, and I can get into that a little bit later if you like, but uh, essentially the work was uh, we, we tried to get together to solve an issue of uh, remediation. A number of high school graduates were in need of remediation when they went to college, which delayed their opportunities in college, added debt to already a, a, a challenging financial situation for a lot of kids and families. And, and uh, so we got together and then we, it didn't take us long to figure out that uh, it wasn't just about remediation. There, there was a larger issue here of systems and a lack of alignment um, between K-12 and higher ed. And uh, so we got together and, and tried to figure out uh, how to uh, solve that particular issue, and it led us to some information uh, from the Luma Foundation about uh, workforce uh, preparation. And so we established a regional goal of having 60% of adults in our region possess a post-secondary credential value by 2025. 
And how did that go in terms of that goal? Well, we brought a bunch of people in a room. Um, this has been kind of the mantra of the Central Ohio Compact. Uh, I always call it as kind of a like coalition of the willing. Um, so we brought um, educators and uh, um, employers and uh, folks in the philanthropy world and, and policymakers in a room and talked about the challenges uh, facing Central Ohio and our workforce and our good friends at 2020 kind of laid out the vision for where we need to be in terms of our economic development goals of the region. And and uh, so we look at each other and, and on the educational side and said, that's up to us on the supply side to try to figure that out. And that's where we came up with the Lumina Foundation's goals. So you've talked the talk and walked the walk, basically, with that project. Really have, yes. Yes. And so, Michael, for you, I mean, the community impact model in the United Way, obviously known for all the great work that they do. For workforce development in particular, you have a passion for that as well and an interest in that, too. Sure. By way of background, so I've been back here at United Way since the fall of 2017, but I was at United Way from 2005 to 2009 and went and spent eight years at the Columbus Foundation. So for about the past 13, 14 years, I've been serving as a grant maker in Columbus. But as a young kid that grew up in Northeast Ohio, my grandfather was a union steel worker. My dad was a union electrician. But at age 10 was the time when the steel mills in Youngstown started to close. And that was about the age that I really started to pay attention to the world around me. And it was a very dramatic period of time. The unemployment rate in Mahoning County skyrocketed to 25% and Youngstown has still not recovered. So, you know, I came to Columbus 30 years ago to study at the Ohio State University, but it wasn't just coming to the Ohio State University, it was about coming to Columbus because as a kid, I developed this childhood fascination that Columbus, it was like the Emerald City and the Wizard of Oz for me, right? It was the one place in Ohio that had opportunity and a future. And when you look at like downtown in Levesque, you kind of feel that way sometimes it, too, it right? It certainly felt that way as a kid, Especially right? when it's green. Especially around <laughs> St. Patrick's Day, right? It changes colors throughout the year. But, you know, so what's interesting is that, you know, 30 years later, which by the way, I'm still living on the same street I started on 30 years ago as an OSU student, now living in the Wineland Park area of Columbus. So, I kind of joke that in 30 years, I haven't gotten very far, but in other ways, but maybe I have. But that area has changed so much. That area has changed, right. So I just wait for the change to come around me. But, you know, so I still have that same optimism for this city that I developed a childhood fascination for, that it was the one place in Ohio that had opportunity and had employment. But... I'm, I'm worried because there is this new narrative that we could be doing so well, the fastest growing city in the Midwest, which was said earlier, we're the 14th largest city in the country, the economy here is strong, and yet there are far too many people who are not able to take advantage of that economy. And we're going to dig into that definitely in this segment, um, and, and, and coming from that knowledge and the knowledge of the great folks that we have in a different position, because we're dealing with both ends of that spectrum. Steve, let me ask you, you know, why did Columbus State Community College and the United Way of Central Ohio really partner with the Columbus Chamber to address some of this issue with talent and workforce? So in the, in the work of the compact, as I mentioned before, we started that work in 2010, 2011, uh, landed on the 60 percent goal in 2012, um, and, and uh, quickly realized that we had uh, a couple components of the system that were not yet part of the um, part of the compact, and that's the voice of the employer. Um, and so, since then, uh, we've made great strides to engage employers. Uh, the college has 
uh, initiated and created a workforce advisory council. Uh, it's made up of right now of about 15 of the of the region's mostly largest employers. Um, and and uh, but uh, one of the issues that we were interested in at, at the at the college is figuring out how do we get small and medium sized business in this conversation. Um, and so. It made a lot of sense from us uh, perspective. The work that uh, Darcy talked about with DESA and the Talent Connect tool um, with some of our Pathways work early on. Um, so we saw a natural connection with the chamber uh, as that kind of intermediary uh, with small and small, small and medium-sized business and to connect them to this larger construct that we're trying to develop around the work of the compact. And this connection is, is so critical. Back to your point, Michael, about some of our challenges that we have. So, and, and the connection is for both the ch those who have a situation where they have the skills, they're ready to go, and for those who have challenges. When we talk about connection, we want to connect both of those groups. And our poverty rate, I think you were kind of getting ready to talk about that. One of our challenges, I mean, where are we? If you could kind of set the stage for us a little bit about the group we're talking to who, who is really challenged to have that connection right now. You know, so United Way of Central Ohio, we've been around for 95 years, and during that nearly century history, we've always been really serving some of the most vulnerable folks. So if you look at the organizations that we have a funding relationship with that are helping people prepare, get, you know, retain and advance in a job, we're talking about some of our social service partners like Alvis, Jewish Family Services, Salvation Army, Godman Guild, uh, uh, Goodwill, Perscolas. And they are serving some of the most vulnerable folks who just have historically had a hard time finding employment. And even in a really strong economy, um, those folks, because they have multiple barriers, are having a hard time finding employment. These barriers to employment that Darcy mentioned earlier, yes. Right. And, you know, again, many of those barriers are transportation, chronic disease management, um, you know, child care issues are huge, but also housing instability. We're having a challenge with evictions in this community, right? You cannot be stable in your job if you're not stable in your housing. And if housing prices are going up faster than many people's incomes, there's going to be an impact on the job market for that. But one of the reasons why we thought it was really important to be working with the chamber and Columbus State is so we could evolve our employment model to be more than just some of those traditional partners like Goodwill and Jewish Family Services and Salvation Army, because we realize that there's this, as we continue to be having lots of relationships with with companies that are gracious enough to run workforce development or, uh, sorry, workplace campaigns with United Way, they're all telling us the same thing. They have lots of jobs they can't fill. And some of our traditional partners that I just mentioned have difficulty in delivering them ready and available uh, employees. So we have to look at new partnerships in order to fill that gap. So the E3 program, I'm hearing a bit about this. Is, sure. is this one of those programs that is addressing that gap? Kind of explain that to our audience. Sure. So several years ago, donors at United Way, uh, women donors, were recognizing that there was a gap in the marketplace, particularly for women who are struggling to reach economic self-sufficiency. So E3 is entirely funded by women who've chosen to increase their giving to United Way by $1,000 a year, specifically aimed at E3 which stands, the three E's there are elevate, empower, educate. And, I knew empower had to be one of <laughs> right. them. And there is a specific curriculum that uh, participants go through, uh, not only to learn new job skills and be placed in employment, but then they do that alongside a mentor, which is a 
United Way donor, and Darcy was one of the folks who started the E3 program. And it is entirely delivered by uh, New Directions Career Center and Godman Guild, two traditional social service agencies, um, who are helping those individuals move to economic self-sufficiency. That takes time. So not only is it about learning new skills, being placed in a job, having some kind of support during that, but having an individual walk alongside you in that journey to help you understand some of the middle-class constructs of what it needs to be stable in a job is really the core foundation of what makes E3 a special program. And, and, and it's so, when I think about it, we don't think about all these obstacles. If you are a person who's held a job and has continued to have a career over a period of time, we simply don't think about all these things you just enumerated. And so what E3 does and some of these other community resources, this is so good to educate people about why it's so critical to think beyond where we are right now. I can give you a quick example. There was a, a participant in particular who has um, never looked at a job as a career pathway, has never looked at a job as a, a place where she was going to stay long term, and always saw maybe a relationship with a supervisor as one that is based in confrontation. And one particular day, I was a call center, very busy day, and was asked to stay one hour beyond the normal time that you would leave. And this individual was really irate that she had to work an hour late. Now, I think many of us understand middle-class constructs that there's oftentimes where we have to work late. And she literally wanted to get into a fight with her boss. The reason was if she wasn't in the parking lot at her scheduled time, she wasn't going to get that ride home and there was no CODA bus. And she had to pick up her kids and she had to get home or she would be stranded. But she did not understand that she didn't have maybe that middle-class construct to say, Thank you for letting me pick up the extra hours because that's important to what I need right now. But if I don't leave at my scheduled time, I can't get my kids and I'm stranded here. So either the employer could help me get home tonight or if you need me to stay longer, I need more notice to make different transportation and child care arrangements. Those middle class constructs of navigating that situation were something that no one ever helped that person with. And when she's asked to stay an hour late, her interpretation of that is, I'm getting disrespected and I'm going to fight. So doesn't even know how to have the conversation or engage in that conversation. And, and that, that scenario repeats itself again and again. Um, and uh, our campus is a, is a microcosm of that, that particular. We have 27, little, just shy of 27,000 students at Columbus State. 64% of those students work. Um, and, and that's the only way they can go to school, and, and which it also explains why it takes three and four years to get a two-year associate degree. Um, and, and so removing these barriers of transportation, food insecurity, child care, these kinds of things are paramount in any system that we talk about um, in terms of uh, a focus and making sure those kinds of support systems are aligned to support students as they're going through the academic preparation to get to uh, the workplace. And you, you were, we were talking about some of these stats. I mean, they're stark. They are, and I want to build off uh, what Steve was just saying. And earlier, Darcy had made a comment that the answer to poverty is work. So let me put that into perspective. In Franklin County, if you can get a job on January 1st and keep it through December 31st and work full time, the poverty rate for that demographic is just over 
And by the way, the poverty rate for our county is 16.7%. That's down from the peak during the recession of 18.2. So it's moving in the right direction. It has not come down fast enough, far enough, given how strong the economy was. We lost 41,000 jobs during the recession in the metro. We have subsequently gained back over 170,000 net jobs. No other metropolitan region in the state of Ohio comes close. Which sounds amazing. It sounds amazing. Which says, then why doesn't it feel better? So the poverty rate for those folks who work full-time is just over 2%. If you work part-time, or part year, the poverty rate jumps to 24% versus if you don't work at all in the course of a year, the poverty rate is just under 28%. So we know what are the barriers that prevent people, right? And I'm not saying that just because you work full time that you're going to be out of poverty, but you are on your way because you need that stability of that job to then move up to that next job and to that next job. But we know all of the reasons why people are not able to get and or keep that full-time job. Again, it's transportation, childcare, chronic disease management, maybe the opioid epidemic, right? right? Which may be a huge barrier for you to get the job and or keep it. Right. And so, you know, we have these issues that we need to do a better job, frankly, in this community to support people so they can get and keep those jobs. And if they can, we're going to reduce that poverty rate and we're going to save this community a lot of money. One of our newer neighbors, newer within the last few years, and I wanted to ask you, Steve, about this, um, Amazon. I I hear that Columbus State is holding classes over at the Amazon facilities. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, two months ago, um, we started the Amazon Career Choice Program, which allows um, employees at the Amazon Fulfillment Center in Aetna to access Columbus State coursework at their fulfillment center. We have uh, nine employees who are taking uh, two courses in um, pharmacy technician, um, so they can sit for a national credit accreditation exam, and then uh, uh, hopefully they can earn an industry credential that allows them to go obtain uh, a position related to uh, farm tech jobs. But, but Amazon has a really interesting take on this. So their, their interest here is to, to, for us to come out, provide these opportunities at their, their workplace, uh, which will eliminate some of the barriers we've just discussed. Um, but they don't want their employees necessarily to stay there more than three or four years. They, they, this is why this is why they, I think they have a general, and I, I may get my data wrong here, but I think they, they will award up to something like 2500 or $4,000. I, I can't remember the exact number, uh, a year of tuition uh, uh, assistance, not reimbursement, assistance. So in this particular case, um, our courses cost something like $825. The, the cost to the employee is $43. Um, for for the course. Um, but what they want to do is they want them to get a credential uh, that, that that upskills their opportunity for advancement, either within Amazon, or they prefer that the employee leave Amazon and go to another opportunity where they've acquired these this additional set of credentials to go out and be employable in other other organizations. Because so they see is it, it's an investment in their community. That is absolutely correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are some of the current and long-term priorities that we haven't talked about at the United Way? Michael, let's talk about that in helping to eliminate poverty and strengthen the community as a whole. We've talked about a lot, but I'm sure there's some things we have not touched on. Sure. I mean, we will continue um, as we head into our second century to be focused on the most vulnerable of our residents, uh, which means how are we meeting some other basic needs around hunger, 
homelessness, meeting emergency cash and material assistance to either prevent some of those evictions or move people quickly into new housing. Kindergarten readiness we know is huge because if kids are not ready for kindergarten, the likelihood that they will not graduate from high school skyrockets. And we also know if you don't graduate from high school, the likelihood you're going to move into stable employment is really cut in half. In K fact, through 12 over here is right. nodding his Boom. head yeah. right at that. I don't yes. have to tell him that, but to get to, because I, I like the statistics, if you cannot finish your high school education in this county, the poverty rate jumps to 34%. If we, 34%. 34%. If you do not finish high school in Franklin County, 34% of those individuals will live their entire life in poverty. If you can just finish high school or get a GED, the poverty rate is cut in half, right? So we have to have all these academic enrichment, social and emotional development, mentorship and leadership development, also a core part of United Way's work. And then of course, United Way is gonna to continue to build out its workforce development or good jobs area, because we know we need to do more around preparing, helping people connect, retain and advance in those jobs. 34%, if you haven't finished high school, yep. is not acceptable. 28% are under, 24% under. All these stats we're talking about, not acceptable in, in a community such as Columbus, especially with this opportunity. So what should our listeners, and I really want to drive home this point because we have a lot of business owners that are listening and others in the community. So what should we take away as business owners and as members of this community from this conversation? How could we help this priority of developing talent and workforce. I'll start philosophical and let Steve end on the tactical. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> um, and that is, you know, local economist Bill Lafayette with Regionomics is predicting that the Columbus economy will produce 19,400 net jobs this year. And of the 20 categories of employment he studies, 19 of them will add jobs. One of the categories is essentially flat. We will outperform the state and the nation in job growth again this year, as we have for several years in a row. So there is a business case we can easily make that if you cannot do it in Columbus with the kind of economy we have, then what American city can do it? And then there's the moral case, which I think we owe it to our neighbors and friends because we have people in our own families that are struggling in this job market. We can do better and we should do better. Yeah, so I don't know how tactical I'm going to be um, because I, I want to just borrow on what Michael just said. Um, so when you look at the data and you look at the um, uh, the uh, population projections uh, for the region over the next 10 to 20 years, we're not going to grow ourselves out of this issue. In other words, we to go back to what he said about the projected number of jobs, we won't have the workforce Unless we, unless we make the existing population of the region more productive, more ready. That's just a fact. We, we will not be able to grow. We can't grow ourselves out of this with immigration, um, uh, increases in immigration. Uh, so we have to figure out how, to, how, how are we intentional about building a system starting in K-12 and all the way through employer so that it isn't happenstance. So this is not a set of random acts of improvement. We have a lot of people in the region doing really good work, but it's not necessarily connected. And it takes, so th this is, where, <laughs> I'm gonna get philosophical now. So this is where leadership matters. Um, I think Mayor Ginther used a phrase um, in a state of the city uh, where he talked about the Columbus way. We have a lot of people here in decision-making positions in this, in this region who return each other's phone calls. There's a spirit of partnership here 
that really, really matters. And, and so I think Don hit on this earlier when he talked about the systems and connecting dots and creating an infrastructure that supports um, families and students as they go through the system. And it's not, it's, we have elements of it in place. Um, that's part of the work that I'm trying to do at the college, but it isn't, no one entity can do this by themselves. It is so critical to have people at the table in a, from a variety of sectors who are all positioned themselves and committed themselves to do this work. Guys, thank you so much for the great conversation. Stephen, Michael, we really appreciate it. Thank you, Michaela. Thank if, you. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please let us know by sharing your ratings and reviews. All you have to do is search CBuzz on iTunes or your preferred podcatcher and let us know how we're doing. Leave some feedback. This really helps people find our show ultimately. And we read that feedback. We value your ideas as we plan for future episodes. CBuzz is produced in collaboration with Capital University and is recorded at Capital's Convergent Media Center. So of course, we want to thank their talented students, faculty, and staff for helping bring this program to life for our listeners. I'm Michaela Hunt. Thanks for joining us. And we look forward to our next conversation.